Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a couple weeks ago, we had our lock-in for our high schoolers. And if you're not familiar with what a lock-in is, I'll invite you next time. (laughs) It's actually a night where uh, all of the youth, and uh, thankfully I had a lot of adult helpers, thank you guys very much, Uh, we would gather here on Friday night, had dinner, some worship time together, play some games throughout all 90,000 square feet of this building. You'll hear from Art later about facilities uh, and how we enjoyed all of those as youth group. Uh, And you Kids try to stay up all night long. I think we have photo evidence of those who didn't succeed, uh, but that's kind of the evening, right? I don't know if anyone took a picture of me, but I got four hours of sleep that night. Anyway, at our worship time uh, and short devotion, I wanted to show, and this is my object lesson to start you guys off with, this is what I showed our youth group uh, when we had our time of worship. Does anyone know what this is? Can you see it from far away? Maybe the live stream guys are zooming way in on the face here. Who wants to tell us? Pet Rock, that is correct. This is Pet Rock. And if you were not alive in the late 70s, although I wasn't alive in the late 70s, but I still remember this in the mid-80s, this was a thing that was actually sold to people. I kid you not. They took rocks and they did... This one's just made by my kids with the googly eyes. And they would put their little eyes on the rock and then they would sell it to you. So if you think you're ever being had today by consumerism, <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Chia Pet made a lot more sense to me. At least you watered the thing and the hair grew on it. Um, but here you go. It's a, it's a pet rock. Now, probably if I tr- told my go- my, one of my daughters that I was getting rid of this, they would be very upset about it. But in context, they don't care that much about it. So we ha- our dog of 15 years uh, died back in November a little Pippin, named after the Hobbit. And uh, so this was a hard thing for the kids and for, for Juliet and I as well. Um, but now my kids have moved on to the greener pastures of, can we get a new dog? And we said, no. What about a cat? Dad's allergic. How about a guinea pig? They smell bad. Hamster? They're dropping the bar. <laughs> can we get a turtle? I don't know. So I offered this up to them. What do you think? They did not go for it. <laughs> they did not go for it. Uh, as I was thinking about our passage today and thinking about rocks or stones, other than an old Chevy commercial where, you're, where Bob Seger is singing about the truck being like a rock, a lot of our language and thought around rock or stone uh, tends to be kind of dismissive. So there's an even older, well, I don't know if it's older than Bob Seger, but uh, there's that song, Papa Was a Rolling Stone a very upbeat song about family abandonment. That's what it is. Papa was a rolling stone means dad is off doing, he's living his best life and we are all in the shadows. That song is about being rejected. If you've ever been told that you have the intelligence of a rock, right? If you're dumb as a rock, this is you being dismissed. Uh, if we talk about uh, uh, stones being cold or lifeless, 
That's a very opposite thing to what Peter just said about living stones. That's an oxymoron. If you're told not to throw stones, not just physically but metaphorically, what are we after here? The idea of don't judge other people, don't create a conflict with somebody else, it's all going to come right back at you. Uh, And in fact, the throwing stones thing, it just seems like what stones are made for, doesn't it? I remember when I, after college, I taught for a year at high school and I helped coach cross country and we took the boys team up in August for a training camp uh, up in the mountains. This is in Southern California. They actually do have mountains there too. You can get to them. Um, And so we went up to the mountains and we drive up uh, to do the elevation training camp. And uh, I'm looking, we pull up to the, to the lake and I'm looking out over this gorgeous mountain lake, just taking it all in. What do the boys do? Just pick up every rock that's on the shore and start chucking it out into the water. So rocks or stones are kind of throwaway things. There's not a lot of value in them. We associate them with rejection. And so does Peter, apparently, because that's all the imagery that's being used today in his letter to us. I want you to take a moment right now and think about your own experiences of rejection. Think about a time when you were rejected, when you failed in some way where people said, yep, we're going we're gonna to push you away right now. Maybe it was very early on in your life when you were a kid, maybe mom or dad with a critical word about you or judgment about something. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you behaving that way? Why are you eating these things? Whatever it is, maybe something that's stuck with you in some way. We tend to say kids are resilient. It's not true. We just carry those things into our adult lives. Maybe it was a peer calling you a name, like poor Snappy was called a stupid rock in the kid's message. Maybe there was some uh, category or title that somebody else was trying to give you in judgment of you. Maybe it was a teacher or coach, well-meaning as they were, that said, you know, you're not, you don't really have what it takes uh, for this. My dad still mentions uh, his time in high school. He had played basketball his freshman and sophomore years. And then the jun- his junior year, he got cut and the coach basically said, well, we're going to start all over with this freshman squad and have a tighter knit group, so you're out. My dad, 70 plus, still thinks about this experience of rejection. Maybe it was a, uh, uh, the person who got, the, lo- the one who got away, someone that you loved and thought, this, was, this is the person I want to be with, and it didn't work out or it wasn't returned. Maybe it was a job that you were going for and you thought, if I get this, then everything's going to change in my life. Do you guys want me to keep telling you these things? (laughs) No, we don't want to dwell. What are you doing to us? Why are we dwelling on this? You notice I didn't give you any of mine. I didn't tell you my person. I gave you my dad's. That's the closest I came. Nobody wants to come up here and talk about these experiences, and you certainly don't want to dwell on them. In fact, common wisdom would say, don't dwell on those things. Don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on your rejection. Why? only going to make you feel bad. You can't do anything about it. It seems kind of like a pointless enterprise to focus on rejection or to focus on your failures. Strangely enough, though, that's what Peter is doing in the letter. And actually, I've been listening to a podcast the last week or so. I know you guys are like, enough with the podcast, Ryan. But a friend of mine pointed this out to me 
Um, it, the podcast, it's several seasons, but it's about this guy. It's hosted by this guy who's a comedian and actor. And what he, uh, what he's talking about is back in 2000, when he was first starting out his career in theater and acting, television, movies and stuff, he got a, a casting on Spielberg and Tom Hanks's Band of Brothers miniseries. You guys remember the, um, World War II miniseries on HBO. So he got this very small role. It's like a guy who's, you know, in the, the camp tent site and he's saying, you know, more coffee, sir. You know, and that's, that, that's the whole thing. Uh, but he gets cast for it. So he's really excited about this. And he tells his family and friends, everybody, hey, I'm going to be in Band of Brothers. This is going to be amazing. And then he gets a call. His agent says, um, they're having some second thoughts. So, but if you can come in, you can do a reading, a table read with Tom Hanks and some of the other, you know, directors and stuff. And then, you know, you'll get the part. Just, just come in and do the thing. So he comes in, he says his part, he meets Tom Hanks, which Tom Hanks has this reputation of being the nicest guy in Hollywood. And he says he was, he was incredibly pleasant, very friendly, uh, seemed to be concerned about everybody else's needs. He does the thing. He finishes, he figures, okay. I think I've saved myself from this. I'm going to keep this role. What do you guys think? No. On his way back home, his agent calls him again and says, sorry, Connor, um, they've decided they're going to go a different direction. Mr. Hanks thinks you have dead eyes. Yeah, that's how he felt too. And he was actually said, I was said to him. And so this was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And it actually devastated him. He got out of that career for over a decade. Got, I mean, he was working in a bookstore at one point, uh, just not involved in any of this stuff at all. And yet, he has this podcast where he decides this is a quest for him. He wants to get to the bottom of this experience of rejection. He's going to unpack all of his emotions about it. He's going to talk to other people who were connected to it. He's hoping, I think, to get some sort of a one-on-one with Tom Hanks. I haven't gotten that far in the podcast, so don't ruin it for me. But basically, he does the opposite of what we would be inclined to do with rejection. He leans in on it. He focuses in on it. And something amazing happens just in the first season and a half that I've listened to is that he starts to have these other guests on the show, people that he'd done acting with in college, people who had a role in the show that actually made it onto the HBO show, people who'd worked with Tom Hanks in other ways, people who've directed uh, other actors and been on the other side of casting for these things. And you know what starts to occur? Every one of them shares their own experiences of rejection and failure and not feeling enough. And leaning into this kind of opens up this world for him where the absurdity of it is on full display. He knows it's not the biggest deal in the world. But have you ever had someone tell you it's not the biggest deal in the world? Doesn't work. So instead of pretending that that's the case, he just goes right into it. And all these people come in and share their same experiences. And he kind of learns these these things that we take for granted as falsehoods that we believe there's other people in life who've kind of made it to something where they no longer fear this type of rejection and discovers that's a lie. People are always dealing with it, always facing it in their lives. And leaning in, his, this whole world just opens up. 
And as I was listening to this podcast, I thought, man, you guys are so close to the kingdom of heaven because they're not, they're not confessing Christ in the podcast, but they're doing the same thing that Peter is actually doing with us today in light of Christ in the letter. So notice that Peter calls you and I living stones, living stones. Now, when I hear a metaphor in the New Testament, I'm tempted to get lost in kind of literary thinking, abstraction, right? I mean, and we do this, there's plenty of these in God's word for us. Uh, you are sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the vine and you are the branches. We're called the body of Christ and the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you or the eye to the, you know, whatever it is. And so we're used to these uh, spaces and they're very helpful. They're true. And so when I hear Peter first describe stones, rejected, living, you know, all of this type of stuff, I just think, oh, he's just giving us uh, another metaphor to try to understand things. But it isn't just a metaphor. None of the other ones are either. In this instance, it's deeply personal for Peter. When Peter uses this language of stones and rock, he's actually leaning in to his own experiences of rejection. So when is Peter first called the rock? Not Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It's a different character. But he's first called the rock. Peter is actually a nickname. It's not, his name is Simon. Do you remember this? Simon Peter. Right? Simon the rock. And what happens is Jesus and the disciples are walking along and Jesus has already conducted quite a bit of ministry. He's been baptized. He's been tempted in the wilderness. He's been healing people. He's confronted some of the religious leaders. If you're not sure about any of these episodes, you can watch The Chosen like our group's doing downstairs below us here and get caught up on some of these types of things or just read the Bible and look into it. And so Jesus is with the disciples and he says, all right, I've been at this for a little while. What are people saying about me? What do they say? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples in kind of typical classroom setting give the answers of what other people say. All right, true enough. And then Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon boldly steps forward and he says, you are the Christ, the chosen one, the son of the living God. Now, I don't know if Peter understands just how profound these words are when he's saying them, but he has confessed the truth upon which all other truth stands. He's confessed the axis on which the world turns. I mean, Jesus is the one. He is the one by whom all things were created, including you and me knit together in our mother's wombs. He is the one who redeems and restores everything I mean, it is the truth beyond all truth. And Peter says it. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, right? Blessed are you, the rock. On this statement of your faith, I will build my whole church. That's what the church is built on. It's not built on programs. It's not built on personalities. It's not built on movements. It's built on Christ and the confession of who he is for the world. Peter gets it right. What an amazing thing. Wouldn't you always want to be remembered as the rock? But what happens a few moments later? Jesus says, this is true. And let me explain what it means. I will be betrayed by my closest friends. I will be handed over to the authorities. I will be rejected and beaten and killed on a cross and buried in a tomb. 
and on the third day I will rise. And Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. You can't do it that way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. Right after you just said what you've confessed about me, you could have only received from my heavenly father. So when Peter has this nickname, this rock nickname, do you think there's a mixture of emotions for him here? Absolutely. And who wants to own a name that reminds you of the most embarrassing moment in your life? Would you rather be remembered for one of the dumbest things you've ever done or forgotten completely? I know what I would say to that. And yet Peter here leans in, in this letter to us, he leans in to this experience, to this rejection. He literally stumbles over the cross. I mean, you heard those words in 1 Peter. He says, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. It is a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That's not just general words about people out there. (laughs) This is personal. Peter is a person who has stumbled over the cross and fallen on his face over it. And Jesus lifts him up. What happens when we stumble over the cross, the shape of life? You know, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say you get to choose what it is. He doesn't say you'll know when to expect it. He just says we'll we'll experience it. And who of us is different from Peter? I mean, I know in my own life, when the shape of life takes on some sort of a cross shape, I think, no, 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 that can't be it, God. Like Peter, I'm like, no, 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 that can't be the way it goes. I stumble and I fall. And what does Jesus do with those who have fallen? He lifts them up. He lifts them up. That's not the only time that Peter screws up. Later on in the ministry, actually at the very end of the ministry, uh, Jesus is arrested. He's arrested. He's put on trial. He goes, we're about to focus in on that ourselves in the year of the church as we go into Holy Week and Easter. And notice Peter has these words again. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Again, Peter's not just talking about them, although we do think about all of them in the gospel accounts and maybe all of them in our lives around us who seem to be rejecting Jesus. And you can kind of understand some of those. I mean, when I think about the crowd that turns on Jesus, you know, they've gone from kind of praising him, Hosanna David, to, you know, like crucify him. We don't want him around. I mean, I get it. Have you guys ever been around a large group of people who are getting emotionally worked up? It's called a mob. It's not really hard to create those those scenarios. People can do that. That's easy. I totally understand the authorities who reject Jesus because he's upsetting the apple cart for them. I mean, anytime someone's moving our cheese, anytime that, you know, the position where I think I know something or I'm in charge or I'm in control of this and it starts to get overturned, I've got some resistance to that. So those guys make sense to me. But Peter and the disciples have walked with Jesus for three years intimately. They've shared more meals than they can count, even the ones walking along, picking the heads of grain, snacking. You know, when you snack with someone, you know that's a real intimate relationship. They've snacked together. They've been alongside each other. Peter has witnessed unbelievable 
things with Jesus and he's been loved by Jesus and forgiven by Jesus and guided by Jesus. And when the push comes to shove moment occurs, Peter just shoves Jesus away. Jesus is arrested and Peter's out in the courtyard and they say, hey, aren't you one of his followers? We know we saw you with him. Your accent gives you away. Has anyone ever critiqued you for your accent? Minnesotans probably never get that at all. I know. I mean, who wants to be called out like this? And Peter, three different times, rejects Jesus. I don't even know the man, he says. He has rejected the stone, the cornerstone, himself. And like you and me, Peter's probably tempted to think about experiences of failure and rejection. There's nothing I can do about this. It's done. And he's right. Can you go back and change your past? You can't. Can you undo your mistakes? Can you fix someone else's attitude towards you? No, Peter can't either. But what he also doesn't count on or account for is that God can do all these things. God rewrites Peter's history because Jesus is raised from the dead. And so the past is not the past. The present and future all belong to the Lord. And Jesus comes back to Peter and the disciples and restores them. And, you know, when Jesus comes to Peter, he, he makes Peter confront this. Peter is forced to lean in on this rejection and this failure because three different times Jesus says, do you love me? Peter. It's like that podcast. They're just going right in on the worst things that he's experiencing. They just open it up for him. And so P- Jesus takes Peter into that space to lean into that rejection so that life can actually open up. And Jesus forgives Peter, as we know he's going to do. But then something else happens here. What else does Jesus say to Peter in that moment? Feed my sheep. We would think, the worldly wisdom would think, Peter has failed one too many times. He is not qualified for this work. But you know what God does with our rejection is profound. See, we can't do anything to change our past or our rejections or our experiences, but God can do all things in those spaces. And Peter is uniquely situated to feed God's sheep, not out of his power and wisdom and insight, and he's got all the answers, but out of his own experiences of rejection and stumbling. Mercy is opened up for other people. And you see that in, in Peter's ministry in Acts and in this letter here. It's all about the mercy of God in Christ Jesus because God has done something profound with his experience of rejection. And the same thing happens for you and for me. Because it's not just that we're stones. It's not just that Peter is the rock. It's also that Jesus is the stone. The stone. Jesus isn't just another reject. It's not like it's just misery loves company. He's with us and we can all agree, oh, isn't that terrible? No, Jesus is the reject. He takes on all of our rejection all of our sin, all of our failure, and it is buried with him in the ground so that when he is raised up, all things are made new. And this is what is happening for you and me through faith. In the waters of baptism, we're buried with Christ and raised anew in him. And even now, what Peter calls you and I are living 
stones, right? If they were quiet, we'll hear in a couple weeks, even the stones would cry out. This is what God does with our lives, with our experiences of rejection. He turns them into good things. He makes good use out of them. He forgives, he restores, he gives life, he lifts up the fallen. This is who you are, living stones. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.